say that three times. Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy. That's not a word that it's in our language, that's for sure. Deuteronomy chapter 23. <clears throat> I want to speak a, uh, just a thought that the Lord has given me over the past few days. And it's a, it's a thought that has really uh, just revolutionized my life and my thinking uh, more about God than just about anything else. How many know you've got to have a clear understanding of who your father is before you know who you are? Amen? A lot of that, you know, you deal with, I know a lot of psychology and a lot of, uh, you know, motivational speakers and, and, and even in the word, uh, you hear it even more and more. And that is, if you don't really know who your father is, it's hard to know who you are. Amen. So uh, this, this word really has helped me when, when the Lord really showed it to me over the past uh, few days and really over the past few months, God's been speaking to me. Uh, how many know no matter what stage you are in your your relationship with the Lord, you've got to continue to renew your mind? How many understand that? You've got to continually renew your mind. It's a daily thing to renew your mind. So Deuteronomy chapter 23, let's everyone stand for the reading of the word. I'm just going to read a couple of scriptures. We'll stand and so we can give honor to the word. Amen. Who's the word today? Jesus is the word, amen? I want to read in, uh, <clears throat> start reading in uh, verse 3. I'm going to read verse 3 and 4 of Deuteronomy chapter 23. An Ammonite or Moabite shall not enter into the congregation of the Lord. Even to their tenth generation shall they not enter into the congregation of the Lord forever. Because, everybody say, because... They met you not with bread and with water in the way when you came forth out of Egypt. And because, everybody say because, they hired against thee Balaam, the son of Beor of Pethor of Mesopotamia, to curse thee. Now look at verse 5. Nevertheless, everybody say nevertheless. The Lord thy God would not hearken unto Balaam, but the Lord thy God turned the curse into a blessing unto thee. Why? Everybody say, because. The Lord thy God loved thee. Why did he turn the curse into a blessing? Because he loves you. Amen. Everybody say, he loves me. Nevertheless, this is my text this morning. The Lord turned the curse into a blessing. Amen. Father, we love you. We thank you for this time together. We thank you, Lord. No, nowhere on planet earth does this happen except for, Lord, what is called the church, the ecclesia, the called out ones. When we gather together and commune together, Lord, over the body of Jesus Christ and the word. Lord, we thank you for this time together. We pray that you will open our ears to hear. Give me the tongue of the learned to speak your word, Father. Lord, give us an understanding heart to receive lord what it is that you're wanting to say to us this morning and everybody said amen and amen as you're seated slap somebody a high five and tell them say god's gonna turn the curse into a blessing this morning how many believe that he can do it this morning amen if i have a title it would be god wants to bless you today just say it god wants to bless me Say it. Look at somebody right now and say, God wants to bless you. 
Point your finger at them. Point your finger. I know, I know your mom told, how many did your mom tell, teach you not to point? How many remember that? Don't point. How many remember that? Huh? But I remember when Ev was about five years old, daddy, that guy's smoking, you know, and he would, he would point his finger like that. And I'd say, son, don't point your finger. Don't point your finger. Well, point your finger at somebody right now and say, God wants to bless you abundantly more than you've ever thought of how many believe that if you believe it say i receive it amen god wants to bless you that's his plan it's in there are the word curse in the bible is found 101 times but the word bless is found 127 times the word cursed with ed on the end of it is found 72 times but the word blessed with ed on the end of it is found 302 times how many how many believe just by that god wants to bless you more than he wants to curse you amen the word cursing is found 12 times the word blessing is found 67 times it's going on going on to uh, say that the word favor is found 70 times the word prosper is found 49 times how many is familiar with the jabez prayer simple little prayer bless me enlarge me keep your hand upon me and keep me from evil talks about that in first uh first chronicles chapter four if you, if you need a prayer to pray in the morning just pray that one every morning amen the great thing about that 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 prayer that jabez prayed was it was in the old testament before christ and, and if you read that over there in first chronicles chapter four i believe it's verse nine and ten i believe i didn't write the reference down but he said he prayed that four-point prayer bless me and enlarge me and keep your hand upon me and keep me from evil and what does the bible say and god granted him his request this was before jesus he this man just prayed god bless me and god said oh okay i'm gonna bless you it wasn't that hard was it that's god's plan in genesis chapter 12 i'm gonna give you a lot of scripture this morning and if you if it's something that i call out a verse if you want to put it up you can uh, if not just write it down and, and make this a study this week because i really want you i want this to revolutionize your thinking uh, in genesis chapter 12 god appeared to abraham or abram at that time the, the this is god introducing himself to mankind after adam and eve okay we all know what happened to adam and eve they fell, then Cain killed Abel, then there was Noah and the flood, and then there was the Tower of Babel. All this just happens, boom, 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 right in the first few chapters of Genesis. The Bible just, I mean, you see Cain killing Abel, and you see God judging Cain. We'll talk about that in, in just a minute. You see Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord, but then there was the whole tower thing where everybody kind of went nuts and said they were going to build a tower to the sky. And you don't see God, all you see is just God getting continually frustrated with man during the first few chapters of the Bible. Just read those first few chapters. I mean, God was, you know, at one point, that's why Noah and the, and the flood happened, was God said, man, I'm sick of this. I'm just going to destroy man, right? And at that point, God had not even had an opportunity at that point 
to reveal really who he was to man and it's a lot like today there's so much religiosity and there's so many people that talk about God and there's so many people that mention God and especially during a political year everybody talks about God right and nobody really understands who God is. There's an earthquake over here. Well, God's mad at everybody, you know. But over here, this blessing, well, God likes these people, but he's mad at the people over there. And nobody really understands the character and the nature of God. But when you get to chapter 12, God decided, you know what? I'm going to introduce myself or reintroduce myself to mankind. Genesis chapter 12, the Bible says God appeared to Abram and this is what he said I want to bless you the very first thing he said was hey I want to bless you so God began to reveal himself to Abraham really is where the, the the nation of Israel came from and then in the New Testament we were actually birthed out of that through Jesus Christ Matter of fact, we can call Abraham Father Abraham through Jesus Christ. But the very first thing God said to Abraham not was, I'm going to judge your, your sin, or I'm going to judge you, or you got to straighten up. The very first thing he said to Abram was, I want to bless you. Matter of fact, then he goes on to say, I want to bless you so you can turn around and be like me and bless everybody else. Look there in, in Genesis chapter 12, verse 3. If you want to bring it up, you can. But look what he says right here. I mean, I, I just read this this week all over again when I was studying this word. Can I encourage you this morning? Is that okay? How many want to be encouraged this morning? Let me see your hand. If you don't, you can leave now because I ain't got nothing but an encouraging word this morning. Look at verse 3. In you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. So what does that scripture tell you today? What does that scripture tell you? God wants to bless everybody. In you, look at it right there. Abraham, God said to Abram, and in you shall all the, just, just America? Is that what it says? Just the Bible belt. Just people who are religious. Is that what it says? No, in you, God says, listen, I want to bless everybody on planet Earth. I want to bless them. How many believe that about God today? God's not, how many know, the Bible says God's angry with the wicked, but God's not mad at anybody through Jesus Christ. Amen? That was before Jesus. Right now, God's not mad at anybody. How many can say amen to that? So he says, I want to bless all the people, all the nations of the Earth. God's plan is blessing and not cursing. How many know the devil is the one that, that's, that's evil today? Uh, they used to say this when I was growing up. Uh, good God, everybody say good God, bad devil. How many heard that before? Good God, say it, good God, bad devil. The Bible goes on to say that every good thing comes from the Father. The devil wants to put a curse on people. He wants to put a curse on this church. He wants to put a curse on you. Sin is a curse. How many can say amen to that? Sin is a curse. The Bible says in John 10, chapter, uh, chapter 10, verse 10, it gives us the agenda of the enemy. God is not mad at anybody. Look at somebody next to you and say, God's not mad at you. Matter of fact, point your finger back at him and say, oh, I forgot to tell you, God wants to bless you. We can see the agenda of the enemy. The thief, everybody say the thief, comes to steal 
comes to kill and comes to destroy that matches over there with Joel chapter 2 where it talks about the canker worm and the palmer worm and the different worms. First they begin to just begin to steal. Then they want to kill you, but ultimately the enemy wants to destroy you and destroy your faith. But look what Jesus said. But I have come to give you what? Life and that more. Come on, y'all got to help me preach today. And that more. What's abundant life? Is that eternal life? No, that's not eternal life. Let me tell you what the word abundant means. It means more than is necessary. It means super added. It means much more. Now, this is all the, the meaning of that word abundant in the Greek. How I many know we've got one word in the English language, but the Greek word's like 40 of them. Listen to this. Superior. I like this one. Extraordinary. But my favorite one is this one right here. Uncommon. How many would like to live an uncommon life today? Not a normal life, not just a get-by life, not eking out an existence and just hoping that everything works out all right, but you want to live an uncommon life, extraordinary life, a superior life, more than is necessary, a super added, a super abundant life. How many would like that today? Matter of fact, it goes on to say more remarkable and more excellent. More excellent than what? more excellent than the world lives more excellent than people out there that don't have Jesus Christ more excellent than those that aren't washed in the blood of the lamb he wants to give you an uncommon life today that's what that word abundant leaves how many want it instead of worry he wants to give you peace that would be uncommon in this in this day and hour that we live would you not say that how many would say that love replacing fear would be living an uncommon life or what about uh, success instead of get by? Or favor instead of... The, what's the opposite? How many, want, how many want what God's got for you instead of what the opposite is, instead of what the world's got? Well, that's what the word abundant means. I want the abundant life. So this is what we're looking at in, De in Deuteronomy chapter 23. This is what God was trying desperately to show the children of Israel. When he appeared to Abraham, he said, I want to bless you. Matter of fact, I want to bless everybody through you. But the children of Israel had a problem. The children of Israel were, had a slave mentality. When they came out of Egypt, they had no, they had no uh, giftings. They had no skill. They had no skill level. They, their their self-esteem was zero. They had been slaves their whole life. For 400 years, they had been slaves. They had been told what to do, when to do it, how to do it, go here, sit down, get up, go to work, sit down. They, had, they couldn't even think for themselves. They had a slave mentality. They didn't expect anything. Matter of fact, you know, what, what is that? You know, uh, deep, how many remember hee-haw? You know, what is it? Uh, gloom, despair. See, why is it all y'all know that? deep dark excessive misery if it weren't for bad luck have no luck at all gloom despair and agony on me <laughs> who did that <laughs> that let me tell you something let me tell you something that was the children of Israel in Egypt they were broke, 
busted and disgusted. They were gloom. They were despair. They had no hope. Matter of fact, they even told Moses, look, stop what you're doing because we don't have any hope. There's no way out of this situation. We Just leave Pharaoh alone and let us just exist. They didn't even want to be set free. So listen, everybody turn with me to Exodus chapter. Is it all right for me to lay just a little bit of groundwork here? Everybody turn to Exodus 13. Let me show you what God had to do. Exodus 13. I want to read, I want to read you a, a couple of verses here in Exodus 13. God said, I've got to change their mentality. I've got to get that stinking thinking off of them. Can somebody say amen? Exodus 13, I want you to look at verse 17 and verse 18. Look at this. Verse 17, wait, let me see, uh, 13, 17, and 18. Yeah. And it came to pass when Pharaoh had let the people go that God led them not through the way of the land of the Philistines, although it was nearer. Everybody say it was closer. Look at somebody and say, God didn't take a shortcut. Look what it says. Although that was near, for God said, lest peradventure the people repent when they see war and return to Egypt. Now look at verse 18. But God led the people about through the way of the wilderness of the Red Sea, and the children of Israel went up harnessed out of the land of Egypt. So what is that saying right there? That is saying that God specifically did not take them the shortest route because they had a wrong mentality and the first time anybody challenged them and the first time they would come up against a battle they would turn around and say whoa I don't want none of this I'd rather be back over there in Egypt as a slave now think of this mentality I would rather go back to Egypt and live as a slave than I would have to fight for my inheritance that God's blessed me with Think about it. So God said, I've got to take them the long way to toughen them up a little bit. I've got to teach them to war. I've got to teach them how to fight for this thing. Because if I just march them right into the promised land and get there's giants in the promised land, amen? There's Philistines in the promised land. There's Hittites and all the other kind of ites in the promised land, right? And if he just took them right into the promised land, they would get their tail whooped and they'd turn around and say, I'd rather be a slave. I'd rather be in bondage than have to fight for anything. So God said, I'm going to take them the long way to toughen them up. I don't want them to just settle. I want them to realize that I've already given them everything. All they have to do is declare it and claim it and fight for it. Gideon. God, God, see, God wanted to toughen them up. Gideon, you see it all the way through the word. Gideon was over there hiding. He, he didn't even believe, he didn't even think he was worthy enough to get out and, and, and take the wheat and, and, and get it right. He was hiding. And God appeared to him and said, hey, you're a mighty man of valor. And he's, he went around like this. What? You talking to me? <laughs> he did his best Robert De Niro, you know. You talking to me? God, the angel said, yeah, I'm talking to you. I'm not a mighty man. He went on to bless Gideon. I'm going to get to something in a minute. David, Jehoshaphat. The Bible says that Jehoshaphat was three days gathering up the spoil. But guess what they had to do to get the spoil? 
They had to fight for it. Now, God fought for them, but they had to take a stand of faith. So they had to fight for their inheritance. God says, I want to bless you with a land flowing with milk and honey. Now, the first thing we've got to establish is the promised land. Is it heaven? Is the promised land heaven? Well, then I have, because that was a teaching years and years ago. Well, one day we're going to get to the promised land. Well, I, I don't think heaven's full of giants, do you? I don't think heaven's full of Philistines, do you? I don't think you have to go into the, to heaven and kick out the devil because he's not there, amen? So the promised land was the promises of God that God, had, that God had promised to bless his people. Now look in Deuteronomy with me over there in 23 where our text was. And we read about two, two people or two types of people in Deuteronomy 23. Is everybody all right today? Deuteronomy 23, we read about two types of people, the Ammonites and the Moabites. And this was at the end when Moses uh, was just about through and God was going to take Moses. Moses was, was going to see the promised land, but he was not going be, to be able to enter into it. And, and he was giving the children of Israel some instructions about who may and who may not enter into the congregation. And he goes on to say, the Ammonite or the Moabite shall not enter into the congregation. The Ammonites and Moabites. Well, I think if, if, if uh, Moses specifically said that they could not enter into the congregation, I think we need to find out why. First of all, the Ammonites and Moabites were descendants of Lot. I mean, no, a Lot. Lot was, was the cousin or actually the nephew of Abraham and was blessed. He was part of Abraham's blessing. But Lot had two daughters, and when, when God delivered Lot out of Sodom and Gomorrah, you can read about it over there in Genesis chapter 19. He delivered them out of Sodom and Gomorrah. The Bible says that when they left Sodom and Gomorrah, of course, you know the story, Lot turned, his wife turned into a pillar of salt. And it was Lot and his two daughters, their, her, their, their husbands stayed in Sodom and Gomorrah and they, they were destroyed. The Bible says that Lot right coming out of this great deliverance from Sodom and Gomorrah was afraid. You read about it in Genesis chapter 19. He was afraid, the Bible says. And so instead of going into another certain city, the Bible says he turned and went into a cave. Now, this I'm curious about this because if God had just delivered you out of this great, I mean, this total destruction, why would you be afraid? How many feel like, well, man, I'd be pretty pumped up. God loves me. God just delivered me. God's going to take care of me. But instead of that, Lot felt like, well, I know God just delivered me, but man, the whole world is coming to an end. I'm going to go a step aside. It was fear. The Bible says he was afraid. And he went into this cave. You got to be careful of the decisions that you make when you're afraid. Because usually decisions you make when you're afraid are not going to end up good. Amen? When you make a decision based out of fear, you're usually going to end up on the opposite side of where God wanted you to end up. So you've got to be careful, and I'm afraid, or I don't think anything's going to work out, so I might as well take this because it seems like the lesser of the two evils. How many know what I'm talking about? Because his, his two daughters did the same thing. They felt, I mean, let's face it. Let's just face it for a minute, folks. 
How many of you saw fire and brimstone raining out of heaven and destroying a city would think the world is coming to an end? How many would feel that way? I know I would. Dear God, just show me a rock to crawl under somewhere, you know. And his daughters had felt like, I mean, they just saw the fire raining down from heaven, this, the earth opening up and, and just destroying these two twin cities. They just saw their mother turned into a pillar of salt, fire raining from heaven. They couldn't even turn back and look at anything or else they would turn into a pillar of salt. I mean, they don't even know what's going on. They're just running for their lives. They're a, even though God's delivering them, they have a spirit of fear. They turn into a cave, and because of turning into that cave, and because of the fear and the hopelessness that the world is coming to an end and we have nothing, they said, well, we've got to continue on the family race. We might as well commit incest with our father and have some children because we're the only ones left. So you've got to be careful of the decisions that you make when you're afraid or feel hopeless. How many know a child of God should never feel hopeless? Amen? How many know we make crazy decisions when we start feeling hopeless? I'm never going to get out of this situation. Things are never going to change. I've always been like this. Nothing's ever going to happen. I might as well do this. Or I might as well. How many know when you begin to think like that, you begin to, to, to step away from God's blessing and you begin to step over here into God knows what. Amen? Because that's what happened. If you read over there, it's in the Bible. How many know the Bible has more drama than any reality show? Come on, turn the TV off and just start reading the Old Testament. And you'll find some of the craziest, I mean, uh, crazy stuff you'd ever read in your whole life. The Bible says that Lot's daughters, they got him drunk, and they, they went in and they had relations with him. And the first, the oldest daughter got drunk, I mean, got, got pregnant. The, the younger daughter went in and got him. The Bible says that not Lot didn't even know anything. I mean, that's drunk. Come on, I mean, know what I'm talking about. The Bible says he did not even know that it happened. But when you get hopeless, come on, the Bible says that, that in, it says in 1 Corinthians 13, now there abideth these three, faith, hope, and love. How many know hope is one of the bedrocks of Christianity? You can't lose your hope if you're a Christian. How many know if you've got Jesus, you are tied and anchored to hope, amen? The Bible says in Hebrews 11, faith is the substance of things. Faith is the substance of things. Come on, you can't lose your hope or you lose your faith. Amen? So I love the scripture in Zechariah 19, 12. I'm just going to quote it, but we're going to come back to it. But it says right here, Turn you to the stronghold, you prisoner of hope. How many is a prisoner of hope today? That means you can't give up. You don't know why, but you just can't give up. No matter how bad things get, no matter what's going on, you're like, you know what? I'm still going to trust the Lord. Even Job said, I don't care though he slay me, yet I'm still going to trust him. Amen? So we can't, we can't give up hope. So, so this is the Ammonites. See, the Ammonites, they were actually uh, cousins, I guess you could say, of the children of Israel. And, and Moses went on to say, they met you not when you came forth out of Egypt. If you read it over there, we read it in Deuteronomy 23, verse 3 and 4. 
Abraham went on to say, the children, the Ammonites and the Moabites, they met you not when you came forth out of Egypt. The children of Israel were coming out of Egypt. They had a slave mentality. They had nothing except for what they carried with them and the promises of God. And the Ammonites and the Moabites, who were their distant cousins through Lot, decided instead of blessing them and helping them, they were going to, they were actually going to hope that they just went away. You know, it's important how you treat someone that's coming out of the world. Amen? It's important how you treat a new Christian. How many's ever met a baby Christian? Come on, they just gave their heart to the Lord. And they're just fresh and they're just brand new in this walk with the Lord. And it's important how we treat them. The Bible says they met you not with bread and with water. You know, that's why Satan, I believe, hates this church so bad. Because one of, the, one of the visions of this church is they're going to help people not only come out of Egypt, but they're going to give them bread and water. Bread represents what? The Word of God. Amen? Talks over and over about the bread being the Word, the Word of God, the water being the Holy Spirit, the river of God. Amen? And one thing Church of the Harvest is going to do is it's going to help people not only get out of Egypt and get out of bondage, but it's going to give them the Word. Amen? It's going to give them the water. It's going to give them the river of life that flows freely. It's important that you begin to give people the Word, the bread, the water. But because of this, Ammon and Moab, or the Ammonites and Moabites, could not come into the congregation of the Lord. And they also did this, and we all know the story, but they decided to try to curse Israel. So what did they do? And this is a, this is a very interesting story. How many know we hear these stories growing up, these little, these little Sunday school stories, right? We hear about the donkey talking to Balaam, and we're like, wow, that's kind of cool. But the, the Ammonites and the Moabites, the Moabites decided to hire a prophet named Balaam to speak a curse over the children of Israel. First of all, they didn't meet them with bread and water. Then they decided to try to curse them. Now, this is a strange story in the, in the Old Testament. Balaam was a prophet... But he was not an Israelite. He was actually a Gentile prophet. Very strange. Now, this is not in the Bible. As I was studying this out, the, 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 the rabbinical literature, a lot of the old, the, the old uh, Jewish or Judaism type of literature, they said that Balaam was actually one of seven Gentile prophets. Uh, they said not only was Balaam one, but his father, Beor, was the other one. And then Job... And his four friends were the other Gentile prophets. And, and the rabbinical teachings is that there were seven Gentile prophets during this time. Now, of course, this is not in the Bible, but it's interesting. And they, they go on to say, the, rab, the rabbinical literature goes on to say, that Balaam was famous during this time and in this area for the power of pronouncing blessings and cursings upon people. The Talmud, which is the old the, the, the Jews' version of the Old Testament, uh, says that Balaam possessed the gift of knowing when God was angry. And, and evidently, I mean, remember that's an old word, evidently. My mom used to say that all the time. It's evident that possibly this is true because if you read this story, 
God actually worked with Balaam in a powerful way. I mean, if you read the story, evidently he had to have some kind of a prophetic ability because God worked with him. Isn't that right? So I know that's not on the Bible, but it gives us some very, uh, to me, very interesting uh, insight into what was going on here. If you, it, Of course, we're not going to turn there and read a lot, but in Numbers is where it talks about this. And what, what Balak did, he was from Moab, and he wanted to pay Balaam to curse Israel. Because what they wanted to do is they felt like if they could get God angry with the Jews or the Israelites, then he, could, he would curse them, and then that would take care of their problem. The, Jew, the, the rabbinical literature goes on to say that, that Balaam had this insight into being able to know when God was angry and what he wanted to do was get God angry at the Jews and try to get God to curse the Jews instead of bless them this is what Balaam was going to try to do he, he he had this gift God worked with him in a lot of different ways with this gift so so if you read over there numbers 23 numbers 24 there's three different times when when Balaam tried to get God to curse Israel. Numbers 23, verse 8. Numbers 23, verse 19. Numbers 24, verse 5. It's very, very interesting reading, especially the second one. If you read over there in Numbers, I believe it's the very first few chapters of Numbers 24, the Bible even says this. God actually went out himself and slew the oxen and had seven altars set up by the time Balaam got there. I'm thinking to myself, this is incredible. God is doing this, working with this Gentile prophet. When the prophet got there, God himself had already went out there and slew the oxen and built the altars and already had all the sacrifices set up. All Balaam had to do was just walk up and everything was set up by God. I mean, God evidently had a plan. Amen? And if you read the story, I mean, it's just so incredible how that every time... Now, Balaam said this, I cannot do more than what God says. He says, I'm going to offer the sacrifice up to God. I'm going to open my mouth, and whatever God puts in my mouth is what's going to come out. He at least had enough sense to do that. Amen? The Bible says three times... He opened his mouth, and three times God blessed Israel. Turn over to Numbers with me real quick. Let me show you this. In Numbers, uh, let's start with Numbers 23. I want to read you just a couple of scriptures here. There's in verse 4, God met Balaam and said, I have prepared seven altars. God did that. Read over here. He says right here, look at verse 10. Or verse 9, For from the top of the rocks I see him, from the hills I behold. Lo, the people of people shall dwell alone and shall not be reckoned among the nations. Who can count the dust of Jacob and the number of the fourth part of Israel? Let me die the death of the righteous and let my last end be like this. And Balaam, Balak said to Balaam, What are you doing? I told you to curse them and you're blessing them. And I want you to come down here. Look, look with me in verse 19. Or look at verse 18, and he took up his parable and said, Rise up, Balak, and hear, hearken unto me, the son of Zippor. God is not a man that he should lie, 
neither the son of man that he should repent hath he said it shall he not do it hath he spoken it and hath he make it good behold i have received the commandment to bless and he hath blessed i cannot reverse it everybody say he can't reverse it he hath not beheld iniquity in Jacob, neither hath he seen perverseness in Israel. The Lord God is with him. The shout of the king is among them. Balak said, what are you doing? Matter of fact, in verse 25, Balak just said, just shut up. Because you can't bless him. You can't just be quiet. I can't even, forget it. Then he said, I'm going to do it one more time. And one more time, he opened his mouth and blessed Israel. Now look in verse uh, look with me in verse 10. He says, I called you to curse my enemies, and behold, you have blessed them all together these three times. Everybody say three times. Three times he blessed them. Three times. And matter of fact, and in Deuteronomy 23, Moses said that God turned. See, God did not eliminate the curse this is what i want you to see god did not eliminate the curse what he did was he turned the curse into a blessing he didn't shut balaam's mouth completely how many know he could have just gave, given him a mute spirit right didn't he do that over in the new testament with zachariah he couldn't talk for for all nine months couldn't he have just shut balaam's mouth couldn't he come on somebody say amen but instead of just closing Balaam's mouth and not letting him say anything, well, you know, what, what's the old saying? If you can't say anything, I mean, if you can't say anything good, just don't say anything. Instead of Balaam not saying anything, and he's, well, I'm just not going to let you say anything, he opened his mouth and turned the curse into a blessing. Now, that's important because that's what God wants to do. See, God don't only, we know God wants to forgive our sin, amen? How many know God's a sin forgiver? Amen. Bible says to him that cometh to me, I will in no wise cast out. Amen. The Bible says in 1 John 1 and 9, if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We know God wants to forgive us and God wants to cleanse us. The Bible says he takes our sin and he does what with it? He tosses it as far as the east is from the west. How many's glad he didn't say north and south? Because if you go north, you're going to end up going south. If you go south, you're going to end up going north. But if you go west, you're going to continue. You're never going to go east. How many know what I'm talking about? You'll never see that sin again if you walk in faith. Amen? So we know God wants to do this. But God is not just interested in washing our sin away. God is not just interested in forgiving us and cleansing us from all unrighteousness. God has another plan. It's not just to forgive us, but it's to bless us. Salvation is just the beginning. Salvation is just part of it. Salvation is just the entranceway into everything God wants to do for us. I'm reminded about Joseph. How many know the story of Joseph? He went to a pit. He went into slavery. He was sitting in a dungeon. Now, I don't know what the prisons are like here in Tennessee. I've been, I visited, and when we grew up, we go, went to a lot of prisons. I've been in, in a, a women's prison in Alabama. I've preached two or three uh, three-day meetings there, and they're nice. I mean, for, you know, I guess for a prison, you know. 
They have TVs and they have, you know, chairs and tables, and I'm sure they can take. They have hot and cold running water and air conditioning. I mean, I'm sure they're they're nice for as far as prisons go. I don't know how an Egyptian prison was, you know, 4,500 years ago. I'm not sure. I can tell you this: it wasn't a picnic. Amen. The Bible says that Joseph was sitting in this prison, wasting away. Now, we obviously know he had a scruffy beard, and we obviously know he was dirty, and he wasn't cleaned up because when Pharaoh called him, what does the Bible say? He had to shave. He had to get cleaned up, right? And here he was in a prison. Now, God was not interested in getting Joseph out of that prison. Otherwise, he would have let him get out of the prison and leave quietly. Oh, we're sorry. You've been done so wrong. Can you hear? Here's you a pardon. You can leave anytime you want to. Matter of fact, here's a camel and get on back to the, where your dad was as fast as you can so there won't be a big hoorah and you try to sue us. Amen? No, God was not interested in that. What God was interested in doing was getting Joseph out of the prison and promoting him to second in the kingdom. And that's what he did. And a matter of fact, he did it in one day. Joseph was in the prison in the morning, and by that afternoon, he had a robe around his, his neck, a ring on his finger, and was riding in the second best chariot in all of Egypt. All it took God was one day to turn things around and get him out of the prison. God is not interested in just forgiving our sin. What he's interested in us doing is walking in power and authority and anointing like his son Jesus and taking dominion and authority wherever we go. Oh, y'all aren't listening to me this morning. Somebody say amen. See, this. let me, let me tell you what he did. This is what he said to his brothers in Genesis chapter 50, verse 20. What you meant for harm... In other words, the curse that you meant, what you meant to hurt me, God did not just do away with what you did to hurt me. God actually turned it for my good. Everybody say he turned it for my good. He didn't do away with it. He didn't do away with the pain. Say it. He didn't do away with the curse. He didn't do away with the bad. He turned it into a blessing. This is what I want you to see. Now, let's go, let's go to, uh, let me give you a New Testament scripture, which you all know, Romans 8, 28. What does Romans 8, 28 say? And we know that all things work together for what? Come on, say it louder. For what? How many things? Just the good things. Just the good stuff. Just the, oh, come on. Does that mean the bad stuff works together for my good? Come on, do we believe that? All, everybody say all things. All things. Shout it, all things. Works together for my... That means, see what God does, he doesn't do away with the bad. He uses it as material to turn it into a blessing. God's got to have something to work with, amen? He's got to have, he, he creates this. Now, he uses, how many, oh, man, y'all, I got, let me tell you what the Lord showed me. God uses the devil to attack you so that he can take what the devil did and turn it into a blessing. Somebody says, why didn't God just kill the devil? Because God uses the devil 
to bring about a far greater weight of glory in our lives because he has to toughen us up. He takes us the long way. Otherwise, we'd turn around and run back to where it was easy. Just like he did with the children of Israel. Mm, somebody said that's good preaching. We know that God washes away the sin stain, but actually what God does is he takes the intent that the enemy meant for harm, he takes it and turns it into something for our good. Now, only God can do those things. You read over in Esther, chapter 7. God was not interested in just destroying Haman. I mean, no, Haman hated Mordecai, and he built a gallows, and he despised this Jew. He despised him. He was just, he hated him. So he actually built a gallows to hang Mordecai on the gallows. But God was not just interested in destroying Haman. What did God do? God not only killed Haman, but in killing, using Haman, he, 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 promoted Mordecai to second in the kingdom, put him in a chariot, and rode him down through town. See, we want God all the time to just eliminate the negative. But what we've got to understand is God uses it and turns it into a blessing for our good. Oh, y'all ain't getting it, are you? God was not just interested in destroying Goliath. You don't think God could have killed Goliath? What God was interested in doing was promoting David into a greater anointing to be king. Everybody turn to Acts chapter 8. I want to show you one verse. verse three, uh, turn to Acts chapter 8, verse 3 and 4. There's, this, there's an, an interesting scripture there that God showed me one time. And it says this. You got, it, you got it up there, Acts chapter 8? I can turn to it. Acts chapter 8, verse 3 and 4. It says this right here, as for Saul. Everybody say, as for Saul. So look at somebody and say, as for Saul. You got a Saul in your life. Didn't say Paul. It said, as for Saul. This is where Saul became Paul. As for Saul, he made havoc of the church entering into every house and hailing men and women and committing them to prison. That's a curse. That's evil. That's negative, right? Everybody's got a Saul. Everybody's got a Saul on their trail, making havoc, trying to vex, trying, trying to bring down, trying to attack your faith, trying, trying, to, trying to get you to operate in fear instead of faith. But go to the next verse up there, brother. Look what it says in verse 4. Therefore, they that were scattered abroad went everywhere preaching the word because of Saul see Saul was supposed to be a negative right Saul attacking the church making havoc in the church bringing a negative but the Bible says because of Saul attacking the church it caused everyone that was running to begin preaching the word and it caused the New Testament church to grow by leaps and bounds because of persecution see I would think that Saul would be a negative how many would think that? I mean, the whole Stephen thing and the havoc, that would be a negative. But if you read it this way, it's not a negative. God is using Saul, actually using Saul before he was Paul to spread the gospel of the new church. That would be God turning a curse into a blessing. 
God uses the attack of the enemy to bless you. See, in Numbers 24, Balak said, three times I paid you to curse Israel, and three times you blessed Israel. We know the scripture in Ecclesiastes 3 and 4. I'm sorry, in Ecclesiastes 3, it talks about a threefold cord is not easily broken. Can I tell you that your salvation today is a threefold salvation? Body, soul, and spirit. How many know the Bible says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, God wants to sanctify you wholly, body, soul, and spirit? How many can say amen? God is not just interested in saving your spirit. He wants you to live, learn how to live victoriously in your mind and your body and your finances in every area of your life. Amen? Turn to Psalms 105. Let me show you something the Lord showed me one day about this threefold salvation. Is this okay today? I want to build your faith and encourage you. I wanted to, wanted to give you some, some legs under your faith today. Look at verse 37. Or look at 36 and 37. He smote also the firstborn in their land, the chief of all their strength. Now, Psalms 105, it gives a complete uh, storyline about God taking care of the children of Israel and bringing them out of bondage in Egypt. It's almost a narrative. It's almost like the, the call and response in the African-American church. He would say something, they would then they would say something. He would say something, then they would say something. And look at verse 37. He brought them forth also with silver and gold, and there was not one feeble person among their tribes. Now, this, I see the threefold salvationist. Look at this. He brought them forth. When they came out of Egypt, that's salvation. Coming out of Egypt is getting saved, right? Get, stepping out of the bondage of Egypt or the world and stepping into the promised land or the promises of God through Jesus Christ, right? So he brought them out. That's salvation. Now look at the next line. He brought them out with silver and gold. I mean, no, that has to do with our natural life that we're living in, right? That has to do with our economy, our finances, every day we're working and everything that's going on in the world. Now look at the third thing. And there was not one feeble person among their tribes. Now I want you to think about this. This is children of Israel that had been slaves for 400 years. No health care. They had a bad diet. They had no money for anything. They were slaves, beat, and had to work hard all day. Didn't live in good conditions. I mean, we live in an insulated house with heating and air, and we get sniffles and cold and can't hardly breathe. These people lived in mud shacks and worked as slaves, and Bible says that not one was feeble that came out of Egypt. When they came out of Egypt, which is a type of us coming out of the bondage of the world, something supernatural happened. The Bible says that the Egyptians just started giving them gold and silver. Now, now what would possess the world to just begin to give gold and silver to the, to the Israelites? Here, take, just get out of here, man. Tell, oh, you want this gold? Take this gold. You want this? Just take it. Man. And the Bible says here were some people that had no health care, that had worked as slaves their whole life. When they stepped over out of Egypt, boom, no one was sick. No one was feeble. No one had a cold. I know back that old movie that Cecil B. DeMille made, it showed old people walking like this. But there was nothing. They were completely divinely healed through the power of Jesus Christ. 
That's, that's a threefold cord. He said you blessed them three times. Now stay with me. In the New Testament, because we've got to take everything through the cross, we know that God blessed Abraham and the Jews, you know, and all that's blessed and all that. What our religious mind tries to do is spiritualize everything. Well, Jesus became poor spiritually. So we who are poor spiritually can become rich spiritually. And I've even heard preachers say, well, God don't care, you know, it's all when we get to heaven. But let me tell you something. If God was just interested in us getting saved and going to heaven, he'd have killed us when we got saved. Matter of fact, I've got news for you. Our future is not heaven. We're only going to be in heaven for a very small amount of time during the tribulation with the marriage supper of the Lamb. I'm coming back with Jesus on a white horse. I'm not staying in heaven. I'm not made for heaven. The, the heavens for the angels and God's throne. I was made to rule and reign on planet earth. Can somebody say amen? Read it over there in Revelation. I'm getting, matter of fact, Jesus is going to have to look at me and say, get on your own white horse. You're a little bit too close. I'm coming back with Christ. And the Bible says, that's where he says, if you're faithful over a few things, I will make you ruler over many. I'm going to rule and reign with Christ on this earth. I was made to rule and reign this earth. That's what I was made for. And you too. You read over there in Revelation. Matter of fact, I believe, then you, I'm not big, you know, in, in eschatology and all that. I believe the bride of Christ is going to live in the new Jerusalem, and there's going to be somebody on this earth that I'm ruling. The Bible says that God himself will come down and dwell with his people. Jesus is going to be ruling on a throne. How many know that? That's our future. So we know that Christ forgives and he cleanses us from sin. Everybody turn to Galatians 3. I want to I show you this. I'm, I'm going to be done here in just a minute. Is it okay for me to, to, to teach you a little bit about this? Is this all right? Galatians 3. I want, to I want to show you. Now, look at this. Now, now, sin is a curse. We know that. The Bible says this right here. Christ, in verse 13, Christ has redeemed us from the, what? The curse of the law. Being, and the law was sent to show us, that, to show us our sin, to show us that sin was a curse and there was no way we could ever go over it. The, the law was sent to show us that nobody could ever keep all of those laws. That's why the Bible says grace and mercy came through Jesus Christ. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone that hangeth on a tree, that the blessing, everybody say blessing, of Abraham might come on the Gentiles through Jesus Christ that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. Look over at verse 26. For you are the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you have been baptized into Christ and have put on Christ. Now, in Christ there is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither bond nor free. There is neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you be Christ. Everybody say, if you be Christ. If you be Christ, then, or if you belong to Christ, is what it's saying, then are you Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. God is not just interested in saving you. He's interested in bringing you into the kingdom through the blood of Jesus and restoring everything that the enemy has stolen. Everybody say amen. 
Christ redeemed us from the curse. L listen to this. Genesis 3, the ground is cursed. That's why we have to work, right? How many, how many just love to go to work every morning? You just love to get up, and you're just, just a blessing to just get up. And Let me tell you something. Work is a curse. The Bible, that's why God said to Adam, you're going to have to work now. You're going you're gonna to earn things by the sweat of your brow. That was not God's original intent. Now, I'm not saying we're not supposed, we are supposed to work. The Bible says all work is honorable at this point. But ultimately, that was not God's plan. Work is a curse. The Bible says in Deuteronomy 11, if you disobey, you're under a curse. Deuteronomy 27 and 28, there's multiple cursings. We know there's a ton of them. Malachi 3, if you rob God in the tithe, you're under a curse. Galatians 3, trusting in works or the law brings a curse. Sin is a curse. Fear is a curse, right? Fear is a curse. Unbelief is a curse. Faithlessness is a curse. Sickness is part of the curse. Amen? But I want you to understand something. In verse 13, the Bible says, Christ became our curse. The reason we don't have to live under a curse anymore, God's not angry anymore because it was satisfied through Christ. And Christ became our curse. In other words, he bought us back from the curse and became our curse for us. So I'm not cursed anymore in any way, shape, or form. Now I'm blessed. Everybody say amen. Look at somebody and say, you can't curse what God is blessed. See, the Bible says in Hebrews 9, verse 13 and 14, if the blood of bulls and goats satisfied this, this sin or the curse for a season, everybody say these three words with me, how much more? Say, look, say it again, how much more? It says, how much more will the blood of Jesus purge us and purge our conscience from dead works? That's interesting to me. How much more? How, in other words, how much more does the blood of Jesus break sin's curse? You see, the blood of Jesus, is it all right for I preach for five minutes, then I'm going to let you go. Can I preach for five minutes? I've just laid ground work up to now. Is that okay? I'm going to preach for five minutes. Can I show you how much more? You see, God is not, I'm going to say it again. God is not just concerned with washing away your sin. He's already done that. All you have to do is receive what he's done. What God's interested in doing is you becoming a king and a priest unto God in the kingdom. The Bible says in Revelation, he has made us. Everybody say past tense. He has made us kings and priests in the kingdom. Look at somebody right next to you and say, you're a king. You're a priest under God. You see, let me, let me tell you this. For, first, oh, oh can, I, can I preach just for five minutes? It took me so much time to lay this. I, the, if I don't preach a lot, it takes me a lot of time to work messages out. When I preach every week, I condense them down. But man, I, I just had to, I had to lay the groundwork like a lawyer. Let me tell you something. Let me give you some good news right here. How many's ever heard this? Well, what you reap, you're going to sow. How many's ever heard that? How many's ever, come on. What you, you better watch out because what you reap, you're going to. Let me tell you something. That is not the truth in the kingdom. Let me tell you something. The, the blood of Jesus cancels out everything the enemy did. Look with me over in Genesis, Cain and Abel. Let me give you a scripture right here. Cain killed Abel. God came into it, and this is what he said. Now, Cain represents the devil, and Abel represents Jesus Christ, the elder brother who gave a, 
gave a pleasing sacrifice to the Father, which was the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. And what did, the, what did God say to Cain? Because of this, he said, your, blood, your brother's blood cries out from the ground. How many know that scripture? Now listen what he says. Listen, I, oh man, I, I thought I wrote this down in my notes somewhere. Uh, did I do that? It's in, it's in Genesis chapter 4, I believe. Uh, bring up chapter 4, verse 10, and let's see if that's it. But this is what he says. Listen, he says, Now, because of your brother's blood hitting the ground, nothing will ever grow out of the ground for you. Now get this. Cain represents the devil slaying Jesus on the cross. He said, because of your brother's blood hitting the ground, nothing will ever, nothing will ever grow. Now look, go to the next verse. Go to the next verse. Now, cursed from the earth, which has opened up her mouth to receive you. Go to the next verse. When you till the ground, it shall not yield unto you her strength. Now listen, the devil tries to plant all kinds of seeds in our lives of sin, of fear, of lust, of just, I mean, uh, just pride. And then we come to Christ. Listen to me. And we get this a lot. Well, you know, you're still, you'd be, be careful because, uh, you know, you're going to reap what you sow. But listen, Jesus is our elder brother. And when the blood of Jesus hits our heart, it cancels out. Listen to me. It cancels out every seed of sin, everything that you did back and over there in the world. You're, it is. It cancels it out. There is no harvest of sin for a Christian and a child of God. All there is is blessing. It cancels out the curse. The blood of Jesus cancels out the curse. Mm, Y'all ain't getting it. Let me let me go, let me take you a little bit further. Let me take you a little bit further. First, First Peter chapter two. Everybody, let me see if I can if I can uh, if I can beat the uh, beat the overhead there. First Peter, chapter two. I beat him. Yeah, I beat him here. It's First Peter chapter two. Here it is, right here. Look at this. Let me read this to you. Nine and ten. Now you know this verse, but you are a chosen generation. Everybody, say I'm chosen. A royal priesthood. A, everybody say holy nation. Now look at somebody and say you're strange. A peculiar people. That's what it says. That you should show forth the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous night. Now look at verse 10. Which in times past were not a people, but are now the people of God, which had not obtained mercy, but now obtained obtain mercy. Now, there's a couple of words there in italics. So what it would really say in the Greek is, which in times past not a people, but, are, but now the people of God. The Bible goes on to say in Isaiah uh, chapter 66, verse 8, that there can a nation be born in a day? Now, eschatology-wise, that could be talking about Israel in 1948 became a nation again. But really what it's talking about is this right here in verse 9 and 10. There was no people of God, but after Christ, there is a people of God. How many understand what I'm talking about? In other words, there was no holy priesthood, there was no holy nation, but now there is a holy nation. How many understand what I'm talking about? You weren't the people of God, but now you are the people of God. Listen to me while I, while I bring it on home just a little bit more. 2 Corinthians 5.17, we all know the scripture. 
It says this, but if any man be in Christ, he is a new. Oh, come on. Y'all got to help me out. Y'all act like y'all a bunch of black folks or something. Come on. If any man be in Christ, he is a new. Did it say person? It said creature or creation, which means you are a new type of a person is what that means. God did not, your sins are not just washed away, but the Bible says you are regenerated. Let me break that word down for you. Regenerated. How many know that the DNA is in the genes? What, what the blood of Jesus does is it makes you a new kind of a person. It doesn't just save you and wash your sins away. How many understand? If any man be in Christ, he is a new, say it again, he is a new kind of person there you go absolutely now romans 8 29 says this that jesus is the firstborn of many brethren what does that mean it means that jesus came first and out of christ came a different type of a person y'all stay with me just a minute 1 Corinthians 15.20 says Jesus is the first fruits of them that slept and slept. In James 1.18, look what it says. Bring that up if you would, brother. James 1.18. It says this. He is the first fruits. Everybody say first fruits. It says of him of his own will begat he us with the word that we should be a kind of first fruits of what? Say it. Come on. His what? a new kind of a person Jesus listen is the first fruits which means there's more to follow which means he is I, I, oh man you got to get this a new everybody say a new race a holy people who were not but now are a say a blessed people a people of grace a people of favor you see, before Christ, everybody listen to me, before Christ, it was God up here and it was man down here. God up here and man down here. In the Old Testament, God would come down and visit man. I mean, no, David never saw a great miracle. There's a lot of people that didn't. Samuel didn't. Saul never saw a great miracle. There's a lot. Nehemiah never saw a great miracle. There's a lot of Old Testament saints that didn't. I mean, you know, there, there were times when God came down and visited man. Elijah, Elisha, Samson. But it was a visitation. God was up here. Man was down here. But because of Christ dying on the cross and opening up this new era, I heard Reinhard Bonnke say this. I, I read something about him one time, and it blessed my socks off. And he says this. He says this. Just like there's the, 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 the Bronze Age. Let me know what I'm talking about. There's the Bronze Age, and there's the, there's the, uh, uh, you know, the Iron Age, and there's the, the Industrial Age, and all of these different eras are, are uh, you know, descriptive they, they call them something well when Jesus Christ died on the cross he introduced a new age how many's ever heard of the dispensation of grace see I've always struggled with I grew up holiness which and I'm sure uh, even here in the in Cleveland there's a lot of that religious mindset but I grew up that everything's a struggle and everything's a battle and God wants to bless you but if you're if you get 
too blessed, then you get into sin because having too much money is a sin or being too blessed is a sin. Or if you don't, if you're not fighting the devil every day, you're, you're something's wrong and you're not really living victorious. How many know what I'm talking about? But that's a real, let me tell you something. When Christ died on the cross, he introduced a new age. And I've struggled with favor and blessings. But let me tell you why we're supposed to be blessed. Because Jesus introduced a new era. It's called the dispensation of favor or grace. How many remember over there in Luke chapter 4 verse 18 when Jesus said, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. He's anointed me to preach. He, he said, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. And then he sat down. What did he say at that moment? He said to preach the favor of God upon mankind. See, up to that point, God had not favored man. But after Jesus Christ, God opened up his favor and his storehouse of blessings. And now through Jesus, we are all recipients of blessings and favor and glory and divine health. And I mean, just there's a new power that's available to man today that was not available before. It's the power of God. And the new creature is that person. See, God used to be up here and man down here. But now it's God and man right here. It's God in man. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Now it's man and God working together to establish the kingdom on the earth. Oh, are y'all getting this? Now let me, let me give you this, and I'm going to close. Zechariah 9.12, I said it a while ago. Return to the stronghold, you prisoner of hope. It says that God wants to give you double. Now, why does God want to bless us so much? We know that it's through Jesus Christ. But God is not content with just doing away with our sin. That's what has, when God showed me this, that's what really revolutionized my life. If you can bring up uh, Isaiah 61 verse 7. I want to show you a scripture. This is God's mentality to you. Can I give you this? God is not just interested in saving you and washing away your sins. What he wants to do is he wants to bless you because of what you went through. How many's went through some junk? Let me see your hand. For your shame. Everybody say for my shame. He says, for your shame, you will have double. I love that. For your shame. In other words, this is what God is saying to Joseph. Because you had to go through the pit and Potiphar's house and the prison, because of that, I'm going to bless you double. I'm not just going to send you back empty-handed. I'm going to promote you in the kingdom. Everybody say, because of my pain, God wants to bless me. See, look at this. For your shame, you shall have double. And for your confusion, I'm going to give you the spirit of rejoicing in your portion. Therefore, in there, and they shall possess the double, and everlasting joy shall be unto them. In other words, because of everything you've been through, God wants to bless you twice as much than if you'd have never went through it. Because of Jesus Christ. Mm, man, everybody say double for my trouble. 
double for my trouble. You see, it's because of the curse. He takes the curse, everything you went through, brother, and he turns it into a blessing. You see, let me tell you something. We want to curse our battles. We want to curse the thing we went through. But the Bible says that Samson, after he had killed that lion, how many remember the story? And he, now he got through with another battle, and he was about to die. How many remember that? And the Bible says he went back and found the carcass of the lion, the battle that he'd went through before. And the Bible says that he, he reached down in there, and he scooped up some honey. And the Bible says that he ate that honey and he was revived. If he had never went through that battle with the bear, I mean with the lion. Somebody listen to me, brother. <laughs> if he had never went through that battle with the lion, then when he got through with that other battle, he'd have had no honey to reach back into and be revived. Listen to me, brother. If you'd have never been through the battle, you'd never have nothing to reach back into and say, you know what? It's sweeter today than it'd have been if I'd never been through that battle. I got more joy today than if I'd have never been through it in the first place. We want to do away with it. God wants to turn it into a blessing. Man, when I saw that, it, it set me free. I said, you know, there's been so many things in my life that I just said, oh, and we do this so much. Oh, if that hadn't happened. Oh, and if this hadn't happened. And we, do, we play the if-then game, you know. You know the if-then game. Well, if that hadn't happened, then I know this would have happened. And if I hadn't have been over there, then I know that wouldn't have happened, and then I would have, wouldn't have done. You know what I'm talking about? But this is what God said. No, it's because that happened that I'm going to give you double. Mm, how many's getting that this morning? Look at somebody and say, he wants to give you double for your trouble. Everybody stand to your feet. There's been a lot of you that's been stuck. You've been stuck. You've been stuck in reverse. A lot of you have been stuck and you said, oh, I just wish I'd have never, if I'd have never done that to begin with, oh, would my life be different? And you're stuck in the whatevers, or I mean the, the, the if, boy, if this, if this, if this, if this. But God came to me this week and he told me to tell you that it's because of that that God wants to bless you more than you could ever dream. When Jesus died on the cross, he created a new era. He created a new race of people. It's a blessed people that carry around a treasure within their earthen vessel. And it's because of everything you've been through that he wants to bless you double. Every, everyone over here on, on this left side, every one of you ladies, how many of y'all are in the Hope House? Raise your hand. 